For Micronesians by Micronesians is doing a giveaway. The podcast now has pod swag and this merch is sold on Bonfire. The full link can be found on the bio of the For Micronesians by Micronesians Instagram page. To enter the giveaway, you must do three things. Number one, like the For Micronesians by Micronesians Instagram page. If you already like it, you're good to go. Number two, comment on the giveaway post on the Instagram page and comment which episode of Four Micronesians by Micronesians podcast is your favorite. And number three, share one of the slides of the giveaway post to your Instagram story. Once you do all three, your name will go into a drawing. And on April 19th, the winner of the giveaway will be announced live on the Four Micronesians by Micronesians Instagram page. The giveaway was brought to you from the donation of a proud anonymous supporter. May the odds be ever in your favor. Yeah. I didn't know there were any other Pacific Islanders in Michigan, so it's nice. Yes. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Four Micronesians by Micronesians, and this is Angela. I am a Micronesian American daughter, sister, ally, social worker. And today I have a guest, um, and I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit. Um, tell us your name, where you're from, what type of Micronesian you are, whatever you feel like sharing. Sure, thank you. Uh, it's very exciting for me to be here today. My name is Ella, uh, Ella Quimby. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. in the Northern Virginia area. I lived there almost my whole life until I was 22. Uh, and then I moved as far away as I could, and I went to grad school in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, and now I live in uh, northern Michigan, um, not the part that's connected to Wisconsin, but the other northern part of Michigan. Um, just outside of Traverse City, I work in education. I'm a director of residence life for um, a boarding high school. Um, my mom is Palauan, uh, and my dad is white Irish Catholic from South Philly, and they met uh, in Palau uh, in the 70s, I want to say, nice. <laughs> um, when he was there teaching English, and um, my mom and dad and sister all moved uh, to the East Coast, uh, to Virginia, when he got a job working for the U.S. government. So that's where I grew up. Um, it's where I spent most of my life. My family home is still there. My sister's still in the area, but I'm over in Michigan. Oh, that's nice. So we were bonding over that because I'm from Michigan. I was born and raised in Michigan. <laughs> this is where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know there were any other Pacific Islanders in Michigan, so it's nice. Yes. <laughs> So I am actually doing a second coming out interview. I did one episode, which um, we're doing this prior to anything dropping, but one episode will be basically the pilot of this new season. And then you'll be my second coming out story. I'm really excited about it just because in the first episode, I explained it a little bit too, but I think that the podcast has been really lucky that um, people have reached out to me who have had a lot of different identities within the Micronesian community, um, but there hasn't really been a lot of content concentrating on it. And um, I said on the last episode, too, that I think that that's fine because I think, like, as Micronesians, we're, like anybody, we're nuanced, we're complex, we wear a lot of hats, we have a lot of identities. And so one piece of our identity doesn't always have to be concentrated on, but at the same time, I wanted to have episodes that does concentrate on this because... 
like anything, like we need to be able to show representation and we also need to show the diversity within our own community so that when people are listening to the podcast, they can like hear these stories and they can say, oh, that person's like me. Like this is, that's amazing. And I think it gives people more courage to just be who they are, no matter what different identities the the folks that they're listening to are representing. So um, I... <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot, but you did reach out to me and say that you'd be very willing to, to share your own coming out story. So I'll just kind of lay the floor over to you. You can kind of sure as you wish. Yeah, not on the spot at all. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this since we set this up and like how to, I don't know, I guess how to explain how it all happened, but I, I feel like there were stages, you know, I think um, lots of folks feel like that when they are discovering their identities and uh, trying on different things to see how they feel. I see it a lot with the students that I work with. You know, they might ask just the staff who live in their building to use different pronouns and test that out and see how that feels. So I think that I had like different kind of testing the water stages um, over the course of my like young adulthood. and there was definitely a period of time where I came out to all of my friends at school um, in a, in like accidentally in a newspaper article about the GSA <laughs> at my <laughs> high school, um, which at the time my family did not read. And so I just kind of sat with that for a little while and see wanted to see how it felt um, in the space that I was in at school and not have it be part of my experience in my home. And then things got weird and I got anxious and kind of shut down and went back into the closet for a long time um, for a couple of years. And, you know, I didn't have, I didn't really have any conversations with my family, um, which at the time was my mom, my dad, and my sister um, about my sexuality. I barely had conversations with my family about like the people that I was dating, almost all of whom in high school were cis men. So even when they did meet a partner of mine, or even in college, when I did introduce them to a partner, it did not appear to be anything other than what they were expecting. And then um, I had like kind of a traumatic emotional break uh, in late college. And it necessitated me being a lot more open with my family members about like, the things that I was struggling with um, and the the like break that I had was fully separate from my sexuality or identity in any capacity. But that kind of me just needing to say to them like, hey, I really have to go to therapy for this thing that happened allowed me to open up my relationship with them a little bit. I've always felt very loved in my family. I've never felt unsupported, but it's that kind of like, we don't really talk about our feelings. We don't really, we certainly don't talk about anything that's going on in our family with anyone outside the family. So if you've got a problem, you should probably just like deal with it and figure it out. (laughs) And so this moment that I had where I had to tell them, like, I cannot deal with this myself. I must, I must get professional help opened up the conversation a little bit more in our family to talk about feelings in general or how we were doing in general. And that is kind of the point at which I started to really consider like when and how I was going to share this part of my identity with them. Because at this point, as like a 19, 20 year old at this point, I was like, okay, I'm queer. (laughs) There's no denying it. This is not a phase. 
this is not a thing I'm going to grow out of. This feels like me. Mm-hmm. So maybe like 21, 22, 21, I think. Um, I was uh, working at a summer camp for the summer and we had just gotten some like really bad news about my mom's health. She had just gotten diagnosed with um, ALS, uh, amyotrophic collateral sclerosis, so which is a, a physical uh, neurodegenerative disease. It's like the body version of Alzheimer's. So still um, all there in her brain and, and in her um, like capacity to communicate and all that, but um, her range of motion was like very quickly declining. So I came home and I like had a big emotional moment about that and I cut all my hair off. <laughs> and when I, I, I've had very long hair my whole life. It's a very like island thing for girls to keep long hair long yeah, time, for a long time. Yeah. And so when I cut all of that off, I like wanted to, I really cut it all off, maybe like three inches left on top. So I wanted to like prepare my family for seeing me like that since I never had. And when I got home and they saw me in person, my dad said, oh, in the email you sent us, I thought this was going to be a much butcher haircut. And that was the moment when I was like, sit down, we need to have a family meeting. Yeah. (laughs) And so in that moment, I was like, okay, I guess it's the time for us to talk about this. Not only that that was a weird comment for you to make and (laughs) how that relates to my personal identity and it was very like I don't know I'm trying to like set the scene for the folks who are listening but we're in the living room and my dad is kind of like sitting at a table that's uh that's a little bit away from me and my mom is sitting in her chair and so it's like me facing my mom and then my dad kind of behind her and while I'm trying to explain to them that like yes you've met men that I've dated and those relationships were all real and valid and also I am interested in women the same way that I am interested in men. My mom just seemed very confused and was having a very hard time processing it initially. And my dad is in the background. I know people aren't going to be able to see me, but my dad is in the background waving his arms around silently going, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Because he knows he can see the reaction that my mom is having, which is one of like confusion and, um being really unsure and you know the first words out of her mouth were why did this happen like what made you this way Mm. which I don't fault her for but at the time it was very much like nothing's wrong nothing made me this way this is the way that I am I've spent a long time processing this please just take the information and don't say anything about it and now I'm like okay I understand where you're coming from this is like not something that you've had a lot of exposure to or experience with this is a woman who especially for the last like seven years of her life really um just got most of her information about the world from tv and from the media and so now I sit with it and it's fine and at the time I was like I can't believe that's where she went with it why is that the first thing that would come out of your mouth and my dad just in the background like, no it's fine it's fine don't worry about it it was just it's just an image that I'm never going to be able to like let go of which is good because it's a nice memory now and at the time it was very much like well I don't know how to react to this (laughs) so that's kind of like the the big the the coming out to the family and everything was fine and they never they've never stopped 
being supportive. It, you know, it did take my mom kind of a long time to understand that, mm-hmm. that the things that she imagined for my life would still be possible. You know, because some of her other first questions were like, what about grandkids? Or, you know, did something happen to you that made you this way? Like, was, did, did someone hurt you? And that's what made you this way. And after I had a chance to like, settle a little bit and to kind of help her um, process some of this stuff. It was fine. And it's fine. And, you know, maybe two years after that, I met the the woman that I'm now married to. And my mom was with us for long enough to see us get married and be present with us. Excuse me, in that moment. And it's pretty recent. So I'm still. No, it's okay. (laughs) Um, I just was worried for so long that she wouldn't treat my now wife the same way that she would have treated any potential husband that I brought into the family, but she absolutely did. So I'm really grateful for that. And your mom is the one who's Palauan? Yeah, she passed in October. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She honestly... She stuck around for a long time. She was diagnosed, I think, um, six or seven years ago. And even at the time, they were like, you got maybe four years, four or five years. And that that's the typical kind of, you know, less than Ball 10%. Parts that they give you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so just the fact that she stuck around so long, I think probably has to do with the fact that, like, all island women are just stubborn. <laughs> And it's, you know, you, know you tell us you tell us something <laughs> that we can't do, and we're like, mm, watch okay. me, right? Every it's, single one of us. I'm- it's <laughs> fascinating how stubborn Island. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, I love that she she doubled what they provided her as like an estimate. <laughs> Truly, just watch me. Oh my goodness! And I, you know, I think about that a lot in terms of like my personal identity, like the time. She and I did not have a great relationship growing up, <laughs> you know, very, we're both very stubborn, very set in our ways. Even me as a child, very much always wanted to be independent, wanted to do all the things myself. And so we didn't really develop a relationship where we could just talk to each other until I was probably like 18 or 20 and had moved out and was really kind of, there was space yeah. <laughs> for us. Um And then, like, almost immediately, she gets diagnosed with this thing, and she starts to lose motor function and her ability to communicate. Her vocal cords were some of the first things to really start going. And so by the time I was really, like, grounded in my gender identity and my sexuality and my cultural heritage and ready to, like, have these really intense conversations with her about, like, where she came from and her experiences growing up in Palau and, you know, being half Japanese in a time when, like, people didn't really like the Japanese very much in Palau. Like, I didn't get to have any of those conversations with her. And there was so much trauma in her childhood and in growing up that, like, she also probably wouldn't have wanted to have a lot of those conversations. And so now my, like, my relationship with my, like, Palauan identity feels very fraught because I really can only, I don't 
I, I didn't get taught Palauan growing up. And so I really can only access information about my own history and our family through my sister or through my other cousins that I'm close with. Mm-hmm. And this, like, I, have sp- I spent so long, like, trying to figure out how to share with her the, like, queer part of myself in a way that she could understand and relate. And so I was doing all this research about sexualities and gender identities in the Pacific, and I couldn't find anything about Palauans or about even Micronesians in general, because there's so, like, in the grand scheme of the information that's available out there in the world, we occupy such a small piece of it. Mm -hmm. And like I can walk into most natural history museums and see like a painting or a turtle shell dish or something that belongs to my heritage, but I can't access any of the history of those things. Mm-hmm. Or in like, I have like six books on like Samoan, Samoan gender identity, but there's nothing about like historic yeah. Palauan genders and stuff like that. It really shows how like even being a part of this community has like its intersectional like I guess, challenges for every single, you know, identity that you add on top of that identity. There's going to be so much intersectionality in terms of, like, what you need. And I think that's part of the reason I was, like, so called to do coming out stories because everybody's, every human's coming out story is going to be vastly different. And then there's going to be these little themes overall where everyone kind of identifies with this, that, or the other. And they're like, yeah, that's what it was like for me. But I think when you add like this element of culture to it, like that's why it is so interesting. And especially like you were saying, like with your mom, like she didn't really understand. And I think for our generation, that is a lot of the time what's going on is like the generations above us don't understand. And they think this is a Western Westernized thing too, um, to be part of the LGBTQ community. It's, it's just interesting in itself. But I wanted to say something you said that I thought was really interesting oh like you said that you didn't usually talk about who you were dating anyway and I thought that was interesting because I don't know about Palau I was going to ask you I don't know with your mom your experience with your mom but I know growing up with my dad like we didn't talk about dating (laughs) like we weren't really supposed to talk about dating culturally anyways so even like me just recently like I'm 35 (laughs) so no I'm not I'm 34 I'll be 35 this year but I'm in my <laughs> mid-30s, and I'm, like, I I started dating my boyfriend, and I'm, like, I think he's the one, so I'm going to introduce him to my dad, and it was really hard for him to understand, like, some of the family dynamics, and I think every family has their own culture, but I was, like, I just can't introduce him to you until we're very, very, very serious, <laughs> so the fact that you said you already didn't talk about dating, I was wondering if that's a similarity in terms of, like, FSM versus Palau, and then, like, how that even feels when you're adding this element of, like, the way that I'm loving someone in a relationship looks different than what you and your brain imagined I was going to, to love anyways. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember who like the first person was that I introduced them to. I think it might've been the boy who took me to homecoming my senior year. And even though I said, this is the person that I'm dating. He's taking me to homecoming. He's going to come pick me up from the house. Like you'll get to meet him. Even though that is the way that I presented him to both of my parents. My mom was still like, Oh, your friend. Oh, your friend, <laughs> your friend. 
your friend. I'm like, no, he's my boyfriend, mom. He's my boyfriend. Your friend. Your nice friend. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I, I can't remember if I ever like expressed interest in boys. I don't, I don't really think that I was like a boy crazy person. I didn't, I, I didn't like have a lot of posters in my room of like teen heartthrobs or anything. <laughs> But I think there was just, like, based on comments, I think, that the family made over my, like, prepubescent years, I think the implication was that they, like, were not interested in me dating at all. You know, it was very much like, you can date when you're 30, you can date when you move out of the house, like, boys only want one thing. Well, joke's on you, because now I'm married to a woman, so... So I think it was, I don't think it was ever explicitly, like, you can't date, we don't want you to date, but I think it was heavily implied that they were not interested in me focusing on romance at all until I was out of the house. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So (laughs) I'm going to ask you a very hard question and only because now that I've learned that you work with young adults, (laughs) I feel like you're qualified (laughs) to answer this question. Okay. (laughs) Cause I've, I've like worked with young people. So I know that like, it's hard when we're young, like we're trying to figure out who we are and it's like, it's when you really, like you're starting to understand your identity, but the, at the same exact time, you're so bewildered because you don't understand your identity. So I guess mm-hmm. like if somebody was listening and they're like in that pocket of life where they're really trying to learn who they are, it's the hardest question ever. But like, what would your advice be to them? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, um, maybe just that it's okay not to have an answer for a long time, that it's okay to like, try things on and test things out and then decide actually that doesn't feel great. I think part of the reason that my kind of like process of coming out felt like it spanned several different kind of levels was just that I I felt like I had to know. I was 14 and I was like, okay, uh, I guess I have to like decide or like label or identify. And I think one of the really beautiful things about working with young people right now is that it allows me to see the way that even just the language has grown since I learned it, you know, queer, bi, pan, all these different like words that exist now that certainly didn't exist for the generation before me and only just started to exist for me. Now, so many of the youth that I work with who identify as anything besides straight are very disinterested in specific labels they're very disinterested in being like yes i'm a lesbian or yes i'm a gay man it's very much just like i'm queer whatever i do what i want (laughs) (laughs) which i love for them and i love for myself because i feel like it it allows so much like freedom and like yeah they're not gender sexuality yeah there's there's no nothing's tying them down nothing's saying that you like if you identify this one way, then like, that's never going to change. And you have to live with that, you know, like, so every part of identity, gender, sexuality, uh, cultural identity, whatever, it's all very fluid and contextual. And even like, ethnically, when I'm in the few times that I've been to Palau, I very much was treated like a white person because I don't speak Palauan. And I I'm not half as dark as most of my cousins. And there's a certain privilege in that. And also I spent like the, 
I spent uh, all of the summer before my freshman year of high school in Palau with my mom. And that whole time I was just walking around like, why don't I feel like I fit in? Why don't I feel like I'm part of this community? And then when I'm here at my predominantly white institution, I'm very obviously not white, but also because of the demographics, nobody can really tell what I am. So like even my racial identity, my cultural identity is very fluid and contextual. And I just think it's so amazing for this upcome up and coming generation that like it it, it seems like there's not the same pressure mm-hmm. that like I'm in my I'm in I'm 30 now and so the kind of the core of the millennial generation I feel like millennials and and my friends in high school we were all very invested in like having words to specifically identify ourselves and I feel like we've come full circle now where you don't have to do that anymore mm-hmm. and more people understand the fluidity and understand the spectrum of identities that you could have at any given time and I think it's just so cool it is cool I love listening to you talk about it I could honestly I could just like sit and listen to you talk for like ever it's so no because like I always talk about because I'm multiracial and I talk a lot about that and like these like identity is very important to me and I think it's because for so long, I feel like I was a little bit of a, what do you call it? Um, what are those things that they camouflage in with other things? Um, a chameleon. That's the word I'm thinking. Chameleon. Of. Yes. I was <laughs> like, like, what is that animal? Visualize it. Yes. So for so long, I feel like I was a chameleon. Like, I feel like um, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, and I feel like I fit in with you know, whatever that demographic was. And then when I went to college, like everybody was like, oh, like, are you friends with these people or these people or these people? And it was always often by race. And I I was like, well, I don't know. I just try to get along with people. And they're like, oh, so you act like you're white when you're with us, but you go and hang out with. And I was just like, I I never really knew where I fit in, but I'm starting to realize like that it doesn't really matter. (laughs) But like, it's, it's more about, like you said, like everything is so fluid and especially when you, yeah, you, you identify as like all these things. I think you're right. Like, I think it's a beautiful thing that our young people are not completely just like bogged down by these titles of who they are, who they should be in these labels. I like it. So it's interesting. Uh, So I didn't really have anything big other than that. I just wanted to check in. But I always ask people um, if you feel ever so inclined, but is there any handles you want to share? Do you want people to follow you on anything? Do you have like a Twitter and Instagram or Facebook that you think people should have on? Well, most of my stuff is private right now because otherwise the students would be everywhere on it. Same. Same (laughs) um, Yeah. So if people feel like they want to connect, for sure, they can um, send me a message or something on Instagram uh, before they add me. And then I'll know that it's not just like a random teenager that I work with. Um, my Instagram handle is at E-Q-U-I-M-B-Y, Equimby, just my first initial and last name. Um, and my email address is the same, Equimby at gmail.com, um, especially if you know, I'm trying to think about like, what I would put on my, like, talk to me about these things. Um, 
you know, if you're an educator and you want to connect, I know I met a lot of really incredible Pacific Islands educators at the uh, POCC conference a couple of years ago, and that was amazing. Um, if you work in higher ed uh, or student affairs and you want to connect, feel free to send me a message or even if you just want to, if you see or heard rather things in my story that resonate with you, I always um I always really love to connect with other Pacific Islanders and especially other Micronesians and Palauans in particular. Wonderful. There aren't that many of us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and most of us are related. <laughs> I know. I know. I uh, I feel like that is like a huge joke that people make even about like when they date outside of the Micronesian <laughs> like race, they're like or ethnicity. I, yeah. That like, was the single that was the single piece of dating whatever that my parents ever explicitly said to me was don't date any other palauans you're probably related to them don't even cousin (laughs) don't even open that can of worms and i was like okay (laughs) ideal deal i'll take it (laughs) well thank you for talking with me i do appreciate your time i know that uh (laughs) we all get to choose how we spend our time so i appreciate you using it for this I just was so excited to see anybody wanting to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, the advent of digital media and social media has been incredible for connection. And every time I'm in a PI space, it is predominantly Polynesians. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just also, like, want to be more connected with people who share, like, my particular experience and yeah there aren't that many palauans so if we're looking at like things that people have in common you know micronesian polynesian melanesian the words aren't that important to me but the shared experiences are real i think and important definitely well you have a good evening thanks you too thank you talk to you later okay bye bye another episode of Four Micronesians by Micronesians. Thank you for listening. Four Micronesians by Micronesians is an anchor production hosted, produced, and edited by me, Angela Edward. You can learn more about me at AngelaEdward.com and more about the podcast on the Four Micronesians by Micronesians Instagram page. If you have questions, inquiries, or recommendations for future topics or guests, please DM them into the Instagram page. I do want to recognize that I created this podcast in the home that I've settled in that colonists coined as Jackson, Michigan in the United States. This land is the land that originally was founded by the Potawatomi tribe that lived around what we now know as the Great Lakes. The Potawatomi tribe taught their children about the seven grandfathers' teachings of wisdom, respect, love, honesty, humility, bravery, and truth. And as kindred indigenous people, I want to honor their tribe and their respect for their ancestors by recognizing my gratitude for their space. All my Micronesian listeners and ally listeners, thank you again for listening and don't forget your self-care.